This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammie here. Today on the podcast, Noelle Stevenson, showrunner of She-Ra and the Princess of Power. Very great conversation. Loved speaking with Noelle. Also, what a great show She-Ra is. Please enjoy this episode. And thank you to everyone who keeps subscribing on Patreon. More and more people keep subscribing. It's awesome. Go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros if you want to support this awesome podcast today. Thank you. And also... Thank you. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Awesome. I always have guests introduce themselves. Could you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Noel Stevenson. I uh, am the showrunner of She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. I made a book called Nimona. I made another book called Lumberjanes. And I am doing various other things right now that I am excited to one day be able to tell everyone about. (laughs) Amazing. And pronouns wise, all is what I think is true. Is that true? Yes. I, you know, just, I I will respond to anything. Uh, He, she, they, it's all good for me. Um, But like, yeah, whatever, whatever feels right to you. I honestly don't mind. Preference? Do you have a preference? Um, he and she, I prefer more than they. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. This is, this is a, this is a weird question for me. I'm very new to like, uh, my gender journey. This is very new as of this year. So, uh, I don't have the best answer, but yeah, he and she are, are preferred. I don't know that, um, well, first of all, thank you for answering that. (laughs) And, um, you know, I, I know for me that like, this is actually, this is also a tough question for me because I don't have a specific um, need. And because I don't have a specific need, then I feel like saying any one thing is actually kind of limiting um, where I'm like instructing on something that you know, I know some people really do have a strong need, love it, love creating space for that. And then I think for me, because this has been so, this has become such a common question in our community, especially if I'm like on a panel or something, and then I have this haircut, I think there's a lot of assumption. And um, anyway, it's not that I don't want to be asked. I simply feel that I don't know what to say. I feel exactly the same. And it's something that is so, it's like, I, I suspect that there is like a system of how I want to be referred to, but I do. It's like, like you said, I don't, I almost feel like by talking about it at all, I'm like, I'm like drawing attention to the wrong thing. It's like, for me, pronouns are sort of like, they're part of how I interact with, in the world. Like I'm actually very bad about misgendering myself because I don't use pronouns for myself. Just, you know, I but like, it's more about how people refer to me. And so when I'm over here doing my own, you know, weird gender thing, and then someone's like, well, how do I refer to you? And I'm like, I don't know. 
I'm just like, I I don't want to like kind of like get really into it and and talk about. I just don't know yet. I just don't like you said. I don't have like a huge need for how I want to be referred to. It makes me feel good when people care and when people put the effort into like you know referring to me in a way that I want to be referred to. But it's like it's a it's a hard question. It's just it's it's a much bigger question than it seems like. I think at first. Um, so I'm just still figuring right. that out. Yeah, I hear you. Well, and also, again, I would say that the complicated thing about this question, and like so many things in life, is that it's, I think, for some people less complicated than others. And so, and that's true for so many things, right? Like there's, there are so many things that um, people are sure about that other people are less sure about. And so I think for me, it's like, I would never want to take away anybody else's opportunity to be sure about themselves. Um, but, you know, I, I think that this is actually part of the queer experience, like even pre a pronoun discussion, right? It's like, what clothes do you want to wear? How do you want to wear your hair? Like, there's a lot of different things about the queer experience that I think, you know, some people like have a real sort of idea of what they're doing and, and how they want to be seen and how they want to be understood. And then I think, I think some of us don't. And I think it's all of that is really great, actually. I think that's the human experience, right? I mean, I could. It, this is true also for like, what do you want to do with your life? Do you believe in God? Like all of the questions that are like the big human questions, I think it's a sliding scale of understanding. Yeah. I think this might be just like sort of anecdotal, but I feel like I've, I've noticed, I've seen a rise in people uh, who are pronoun flexible this past year, especially. And I think because a lot of that is like, you know, we're all kind of, I think everybody is sort of going through, it might not be gender for everybody, but everybody's kind of going through like, we're all stuck at home. We only are interacting with each other over Zoom and over the internet. And like, who, who am I right now? I'm not having all this input from other people in my life, from acquaintances and people on the street. It's just like, you know, like, like how, who exactly am I? How do I want to be perceived? How do I want to present myself in this, in this space where we're just kind of isolated. And so I feel like there's been like, I, I, for me, pronouns, it's like, they aren't some deep personal thing for me. There's not like a true part of my soul that is like, ah, yes, that's how I want to be referred to. And for some people, they really do have that. But for me, pronouns are more of a tool. So it's like, it's something when you're going through life, like I enjoy being called he, because there's a friction there. I don't particularly look or sound like he. And so when someone calls me he, that gives me like a little, like a thrill because it, it feels like that tool, that pronoun tool is someone who's like paying attention to me and listening to me. And I have expressed that there's a masculine part of me that I enjoy and they're paying attention to that. And so that makes me happy. But then if I'm, you know, talking to my family, I'm just like, don't, you know, I don't want to explain it to grandma. Just like, it's fine. She is also fine. I also feel a strong connection to the feminine part of myself. So it's, just, it's like a complicated question because it has so many different answers and so many different, I guess, situations where different mm-hmm. pronouns are appropriate. And so that's kind of how I feel about being pronoun flexible. I'm like, if you don't know, I mean, they is also very respectful for someone whose, you know, identity you don't necessarily know and you're not presuming to know. So there's just, it's, it's a big question. There are a lot of different, very confusing answers. And I, uh, I'm as confused as everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I also don't want to, um, I would, I would also like to acknowledge this, that for some folks in our family, this is life-saving. And so that's, 
a real thing. And then, you know, for me, um, kind of the other side of what you're talking about is true, which is that like, sometimes I find it interesting to be perceived as feminine, um, by people who really know me, um, because I, but I also don't want to be called femme. <laughs> so we don't, you know, this, this shit is really complicated. We could talk about this for the entire thing. So maybe I'll just put a pin in it and say, we'll continue this conversation for the rest of our lives. <laughs> um, I noticed that you are surrounded by little Shira figures and such. What is your history with the property prior to making <laughs> the, the, the show Shira and the Princess of Power? Like, what it, did you grow? I think you're younger than me. Um, and I grew up like in the heyday of Shira action figures. I, but I'm not sure if that would have been around for you. I definitely, it was a little bit before my time. Um, I'm a nineties baby. Um, but Shira was something that I feel like was always kind of in the ether. Uh, so I was like, I was aware of it. Um, I have a big family and it's the kind of thing where it's like, you, you're all your siblings are playing with all these different kids. Kids are just in and out of the house all the time. So we end up with a really weird jumble of toys, most of which I had no idea what they were or who the character was or where they came from. And so that was kind of the first way I was exposed to She-Ra and He-Man. Um, just by being like, who is this blue skeleton man action figure? I have no idea what I'm looking at right now. Uh, I guess he'll be the villain for my Barbie and my Star Wars action figure. Um, so that was how I was first exposed to it. But it was uh, as an adult that I kind of came into the fandom for the She-Ra and He-Man um, world. Because I one of my first jobs was... Uh, I worked with a ton of like Masters of the Universe super fans. I think we did like three different homages to She-Ra and He-Man just in one season of that show. Um, and so that was kind what of was like, that show? Uh, Wander Over Yonder. It was a Disney show. Um, so I basically I was like I don't even know what's going on, so I have to like watch this so I know what we're making homages to. Uh, and that was how I kind of like started to get into that. Uh, just the world of like 80s sci-fi fantasy camp. And I was like, I, this is incredible. I love this. And so like right after that, like a couple months later, I found out that they were rebooting She-Ra and they were looking for someone to run it. And I was like, this is perfect. I've been like getting, delving into this world already. And like, I'm just really compelled by it. And it's like the perfect timing. So yeah, it was just like timing and luck that I uh, managed to be able to actually work on She-Ra and reboot She-Ra. It was really awesome. I want to ask you about character design for the show. I don't remember having a She-Ra figure, figure growing up, but I did have a lot of the He-Man, He-Man figures, which were like, um, so I was like a big action figure kid when I was growing up. It's also funny. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend, <laughs> Katie, and um, she asked me, when you're talking about action figures, do you mean dolls? So I just want to say, yes, I think I do mean dolls, but they were very small and plastic. Um, I was a huge, I was hugely into action figures. I had the He-Man action figures, which were unusual. I mean, I guess they did also look like the cartoon, um, that they were unusual in that they were almost as wide as they were tall. Like nothing else really looked like that. They were so flexed out. Even when he was Prince Adam? Is that his yes. name? God, I'm not, I didn't, this is not, this is. It's a well you know, of knowledge that you still have. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were like as wide as they were tall. And 
nothing else really looked like that, right? Like the contemporary, um, the contemporaneous like action figures were, you know, G.I. Joe's or Ghostbusters and all of the character design for those different figures were honestly usually pretty skinny. Anyway, I do not remember having a She-Ra actual figure. I remember what she looked like in the cartoon. And then watching your show, like one of the first things I was struck by was when Adora changes into She-Ra, she gets taller, like she gets physically bigger, which I don't remember whether or not that predates you. Can you talk to me about like, if like, is that her? Is that like what her thing is, is that she changes in size? You know, one of my favorite things about the Masters of the Universe world is how tied into toy making it is. It is, you know, that's kind of what we remember the most about those original 80s shows is that every single decision that they made was tied into how, like, how cool the action figure was going to be and how, like, easy the action figure was going to be to produce. So, yes, yes, like, yes. I also just want to say that, like, prior to that, that wasn't a thing. You know, yeah. like, anybody who was born after this might not know that, like, in the 70s, shows didn't necessarily exist specifically to sell you toys. That started, like, with my childhood and the and these shows. But continue. Yeah, so it's like when Prince Adam powers up and becomes He-Man, there is the implication that he's supposed to be getting more powerful. Like, Prince Adam is, like, a, a prince. He just is, like, that's his thing. He's like, I wear pink, and I'm scared of things. I run away. <laughs> he does wear a vest. He's, he's like, a vest. I run away so that, like, He-Man can come back and fight. So it's like, that's his thing. Like, he's, like trying to be as like unassuming as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but he looks exactly the same. The only thing yes. that changes is he gets a, a really deep tan. Um, but other than that, like he looks exactly <laughs> yes. the same. His hair is the same. He's just as buff. And so it's just like, the, I it, it, I think they want you to like use your imagination and be like, oh, he's a slender, you know, unassuming prince before. And then he becomes this muscled out jock. Um, so Shira actually has even fewer changes because she doesn't even get the tan that He-Man gets. She just, like, her hair, her bangs are slightly different. That's the only <laughs> physical difference. And that, and the clothes. And it's just, like, She-Ra is just, like, it's just even harder. She doesn't even have, like, her job is exactly the same as She-Ra as it is as Dora. She leads the rebels. So she has the same job. She carries the same sword. She looks exactly the same. And still no one knows that Adora and She-Ra are the same person. Like, at least He-Man has a secret identity. She-Ra does not. Like, but still no one knows. So anyway, all that to say, I was just, like, I, I was like, I think they want us to assume that more physical changes are going on. Obviously, the reason they're not changing more physical and the reason why all the characters are kind of cookie cutter is because that's easier to produce. We have one male body type and one female body type, and we will just like stamp those out. And sometimes if we're making an alien, we'll give him like three legs, but he's still going to have the same like muscle torso, you know? So it's all, I'm so fascinated by like, there's so many stories about like the production of Masters of the Universe, where it's just like, well, we had a tiger from this other set. It was kind of too big for scale because it was from a toy set that was larger. The people were larger. So He-Man ended up with this giant tiger. And they were like, well, maybe he could ride the tiger like a horse. Okay, sure. I mean, it's like, I love that shit. It's so interesting. 
Um, for us, obviously, we were not as, uh, like, we were not as tied down by toy design. Um, and so I wanted to, like, there's still something that I love about the campiness of, I, I, honestly, I love the character design for the original. I love that everyone's wearing tights. Everyone has their tummy out. Everyone is just, like, pantsless. Like, I think that's amazing. And I wanted to, like, stay true to that while obviously, like, also being appropriate for children. Um, but it was something that was just so, like, I, I wanted to capture that little feeling of, like, this is, like, a little, this is kind of campy. This is kind of strange. Um, and so I, I, I wanted She-Ra to get bigger, to get more powerful um, and and have that, like, reflected in the difference between these two characters. And, of course, we just ended up doing away with the secret identity aspect altogether, um, because it is just kind of a stretch to be like, here's these two people who look exactly the same and do the exact same thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I like, I was like, I just want to see a, a really tall woman. That's, you know, that's a lot of what it came down to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's not just, again, because I'm familiar with the original series and the, and the thing you were talking about, about the interchangeable bodies and everything. And clearly that, that also wasn't just limited to He-Man or She-Ra. But then to look at characters like Glimmer, um, who have like a body type that is not typical for... I would call this even like in the category of superhero animation. You know, I know it's like... like. Do you think... Are these superheroes? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, are they? Right? Like, they're... Yeah. Yeah. The tights. Yeah. The tone. They have powers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's not a body type that we usually see in superhero animation in that she's like, like pear-shaped and also ages like into a consistent body type for that. So it's like, it's not like she's like a kid that then like blossoms into a, like a woman who then suddenly has like huge boobs, yeah. which I think would be another thing that we would maybe see in like this sort of a, a show in the past. Um, so can you talk to me a little bit about that idea and developing that desire to have different body types represented? Yeah, I, I think Glimmer is like, her design is, is especially kind of close to my heart. Um, and it's something that I've been thinking about for a while. This actually goes back to uh, when I was in college we used to, I went to art school, so we'd have this huge Halloween party every year and everyone went all out on their costumes. And I realized that I chose to dress as a male character every single year. I obviously, you know, have gone on to like, like embrace that part of myself more so. Um, but at the time I was very much like, what is it about female characters that makes me uncomfortable? Why am I so uncomfortable dressing as most female characters? And I realized that there was this aspect of femininity that almost every single female character had, where it was about being very slender, about dressing, even for characters who are like, quote unquote, butch, they're not butch. They're never actually butch. Um, there, it's, there's still such a focus on the body and on the femininity. And that was something that I was uncomfortable with. And so I was in the process of creating my first comic, Nimona. And I was like, I'm going to design this main character one, she's a shapeshifter, so she can look like whatever she wants to look like. But what kind of character would I want to dress up as? Can I create a new kind of character here who isn't this like tall, slender, 
long hair, you know, that like feminine appearance that we sort of assume female characters have to have. And part one of the things that I realized was that so much of it was this like body type of being hourglass of like having like breasts that are sort of drawn attention to by the design. And I wanted to try something new. So uh, when I designed the character of Nimona, I made her short and stocky. I think that she, like, she's not, like, I got a lot of, like, I I got this question a lot with Nimona, too, and honestly, like, her body type is pretty close to mine. Like, she has thighs, but I I wouldn't call her fat. Like, I think she's a pretty standard size, but she's chubby. She's short, she's stocky, um, and none of that, like, changes how powerful she is. None of that changes how complex of a character she is. And one of the things I was really, like, One, I thought it was important to show that she could look like anyone she wanted to be, but she loved this presentation. She wanted to look like this. And two, that it did not inhibit her mobility in any way, because that's a trope I think we see with chubby characters, with fat characters, where they're not allowed to be as mobile as a thin character. So thin characters get to be airy. They get to fly. They get to like leap around and like do all these stunts and stuff. And like fat characters don't get the same types of roles. And so it was especially important for me with She-Ra to have Glimmer, like one of my favorite characters in the show. She's incredibly complex. She has this darkness despite being the cutest little, you know, like, like baby you've ever seen like she's adorable and sparkly and pink and then she like is full of rage um but she's also like she her her mobility is unlimited she can teleport anywhere she wants to be she's super fast and then the other fat character is you know the wind princess um so she is like lighter than air she flies she like twirls like that was really important for me to show because i do feel like you know we are like the way that we've seen chubby characters portrayed in the past has not given those characters, I think, the fullness of experience that a lot of other characters get to experience. And so that is something that's just like, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And it's something that I, it was like, it never even occurred to me to like, that Glimmer wouldn't be chubby, you know, at that point. It was like, of course, like these are like, real people and so of course they're going to represent like you know the diversity of body type that we see in real life every single person has such a different body type why would we not see that in this fantasy world um yeah so i think it's something that is just it's really important to me um and it's something that i like it started as a way for me to like sort of examine my own relationship with my own body and with the world and with the characters that I felt like I could embody. Um, and I just want to, like, you know, continue doing that. Um, and Shira was a way to do that. You know, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that because, um, well, there's, like, some different stuff going on. there. You know, you're, you're talking about, like, well, I would say looking at that character. So, like, she's not fat mm-hmm. in, I think, a way that, like, as a culture, we would understand that word. Um, I also think that, like, it's interesting to talk to just another human being about, you know, and I, and I, this is not like, this comes up on the podcast a lot, but I think that there's like, it's almost in, as you were talking, you're using like normally weighted, chubby and fat, almost like interchangeably, which is just an interesting 
part of, I think, being a person that is cultured in the United States, because I don't think that we necessarily agree as a culture on what the difference is even between those terms. Like, what things can you call, what, you know, what bodies are what things, and then also, obviously, it's something that's so loaded. It's not like we like all stand around and like <laughs> decide what bodies look which way. But I, I will, I just, you know, I just bring this up because, you know, I'm somebody who had a, an eating disorder that was very active in my youth and that I still deal with. Uh, you know, an eating disorder is a, is a disease and it doesn't become eradicated um, because you change your behaviors. So it mostly is something that, you know, behaviors change and then seeking spiritual support is also helpful. And I just heard you talk a lot about the character design and then your own body. And I'm curious, you know, what sort of your journey has been there, anything that you'd be open to sharing? Because I just hear, heard in what you were saying, like, that's essentially something that, that's how I would talk about myself at some points in my life. Normally weighted, chubby, fat, like, it, you know, or thin. Like, it's like, I don't, I don't feel that I have an accurate gauge for that. It's because of yeah. It's because of having an eating disorder. It's broken. My gauge is probably going to be broken forever. Um, but I'm curious what your relationship is with that. It's it is such a complicated conversation because it's we like it is true that um because all of I mean, I would say all of society is built around having a complicated relationship to that. So I'm not someone that I I mean, I have never been fat. Like I have never been I have always been able to go into any store and find something in my size. That is like kind of, you know, I've been able to wear straight sizes. So I can't claim that I have ever been a fat person, but I have struggled with my body as I would say most people have. And so it's something that as I was like exploring these characters um, and growing up in the 2000s where incredibly thin body types were all the rage and all clothes were kind of designed for that. Like I, the, the low cut jeans at that time left me with so much trauma of just like, everyone can see my butt crack at all times. And I just felt awful. Um, and there was also this concept. It's like, they're like, you hear this concept and then you've never even known to be insecure about this before, but you hear someone talk about it and then you go look in the mirror and you're like, damn it, I have the wrong type. So the idea of the thigh gap um, was was big for, for young people at that time. My thighs super touch. They have always touched. They will never not touch. Um, and again, I'm someone who is like a pretty standard size and I always have been, but that was still something that was just custom made for young kids like me to feel shitty about ourselves. And so there was something, even though I can't claim to be representing the experience of someone who's fat, of someone who moves through the world as a fat person, there are still those little reclamations of like, guess what? I love my thighs. They are good thighs. They're not everyone's thighs, but they're mine and I like them. Um, and so drawing characters where, like, for me, drawing has always been a way to just to like try and examine things about myself and things about other bodies um, that just like finding, finding things in them that I love. And so I, 
I remember all these body insecurities I had coming in to art school and, 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 you know, coming in as an artist. And there were all these things that just like, I was really ashamed of my body. There's just like all these things, like my arms, they're fat. I have armpit fat. My stomach's really round. Like, and again, like all of these insecurities just from being a, you know, a girl in the United States in the 2000s and in the world. And there, as soon as I started seeing more naked people, for one, uh, in my life drawing classes, people of all shapes, all sizes, and really realizing just how different everyone's bodies are, that started my journey towards like, like I, I, I mentioned armpit fat. This was a huge thing because also like strapless dresses. I grew up in the South. We all wore these like strapless dresses for every, like for church and for every sort of um, ceremony and everyone had an issue with the, just the little fold of fat between your chest and your arms. And I had a pretty big chest. So I was so insecure about that part of my body. I always wore a little shrug because again, it was the 2000s. Um, and then I started seeing naked people in school. And I'm just like, I realized that's one of my favorite parts of the body to draw. I would be drawing these, these bodies and I'm just like, oh, hell yes. I get to draw this little fold of fat. I get to draw this roll. I get to draw this like dimple. That was my favorite part. Like sometimes we would have very like, you know, like typically beautiful women who are hourglass and, and, you know, didn't have as many folds and rolls. And that was less interesting for me. That was less fun because I realized just how like everybody was this infinitely complex collection of it just, it was never, ever the same. It was never the same experience. And, and it's so different. And the way that you feel when you're just like 14 and walking through the mall and you see a Victoria's secret ad and you're like, am I supposed to look like that? I don't look anything like that. Maybe I am a monster. And then once you start realizing that, like, if I were in that Victoria's Secret ad somehow and someone else looked at me, they would also be super different from me. They would never think like, oh, I have to look like you. Uh, and so why would we think that way about Victoria's Secret models? And so that was just like a realization I came to through seeing more naked bodies and being exposed to more of a diversity of bodies. Um, and that part of that was getting better as an artist. Um and so I think I felt so really... sad for myself. I just have to jump in and say I feel so sad for myself that I did not see naked bodies at that age. Yeah. To, in, in the number that it sounds like you did. So yeah. please continue. But I just want to say to all our listeners that missed out on this, what a devastating thing. It's so sorry incredible. to all of us. It really is. I think if you're an artist especially, but I think that like everyone, if there's just a way to just be like exposed to naked bodies in a very like neutral way... Like, it's kind of amazing. I remember one of the first models we had, she was gorgeous. Like, like, like hourglass, like, fully just, like, she looked like, you know, a superhero. And she had really thick, dark hair, just, like, all over her body. She didn't shave um, any part of her. And, like, she was, like, stunning. But I had never seen, like, I was so obsessed with shaving every single part of my body and making sure it was, like, appropriately hairless. And suddenly I'm seeing this woman who's, like, so proud of this thick, dark body hair. And I'm like, wow, body hair is stunning. Incredible. I just hadn't seen it. You only see the like glistening silky legs on TV. And so you're like, oh my God, I missed one hair while I was shaving. Everyone's going to laugh at me. And it's just like, we just do not see enough different types of people. And so it's just something where it's just like, I, I think it's, um, 
it is something that like, I think the fat experience of being, you know, uh, unable to go into a store and buy something in your size of being like having trouble fitting into standard size seats on airplanes. Like there is this whole other world of experience that fat people go through all the time. And so many hard conversations we have to have with ourselves as just a, as a world, as a society. But at the same time, all of like, everybody has their own relationship to their body as well. Like just because thin people are thin doesn't mean we don't have body issues. And so it is just like, there's so many conversations to be had about it. And the more different types of bodies that we see, the closer we, like the farther we go just as a group of people. And so I think, you know, all, all of that long story short is just to say that like, I think Shira is a way of doing that, of showing, of attempting to show the variety of bodies that you can move through the world with and to show that that's just like, it's all good. It's all normal. And I hesitate to say it's all beautiful because it sounds, I don't know, we've all been told that. And I think we've probably all not believed it, Um, but they are beautiful. And, you know, I believe that. And that's, and that's what I want to see. Yeah. I I mean, I certainly, I certainly hear you. I think it's interesting, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's, it's wild, for instance, that I think about all the time, how we still don't have uh, like sort of a hot masculine representation on television that isn't also incredibly thin or in movies um, because it's like too many things. Like, it's like, okay, you can be like masculine or you could be like curvy, but you couldn't be like curvy plus masculine. That's like insane, you know, like, and I, and that's just a, um, I'm really excited for if we are ever able to like really get to the other side of that, that would be something that'd be amazing. Yeah. I've been feeling that a lot too lately. Um, I just saw like an article the other day that was like, there are too many masculine women in movies. Like, well, like we should have women who are proud to be feminine. And I, and I give the article was going, <laughs> who wrote this article? I know. I was like, where are you finding these butch people on TV? And please tell me <laughs> where to find them because I haven't seen any, but it's just, I knew what they were going for, which is like, we were used to the tomboy. It's like, she's like just as good as the boys and she can wear, you know, like she doesn't care about makeup or clothes, but of course she still is, you know, she, she looks absolutely perfect in every way. She's just not allowed to be like, I work at my appearance. I curl my hair. I pick out makeup to buy. So I do get that. Like, I would like to see more, you know, awesome female characters who are also like, you know, like who show what really goes into being like a feminine person. Um, mm-hmm. However, at the same time, there is nowhere close to like, I can think of maybe a couple of characters in mainstream TV and movies who I think are truly butch. And it's something that I've been really hungry for lately, which is just like the the fullness of experience of being butch, which is not, you know, being a, a like a woman with like tousled hair and a bulletproof vest who like, you know, <laughs> has natural kind of like smoky eyes, but would never actually do smoky eyes. It's just part of her look. Like I can't believe you're like talking down on my bulletproof vest though. You know what I mean? I like I've got six or seven. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just no, I, I, I hear you. Really Absolutely. Love to see, and I would love to see like, you know, domestic butches, just like maybe you know, 
Maybe that you don't have to have the bulletproof vest. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, um, and, and it's, there's, you know, I, I know so many, just like, even when, when I was thinking the other day about like, um, you know, having created lesbian characters and kind of it, seeing the trends in lesbian characters in media where it's like, and then this is absolutely, I'm guilty of it as well. Cause I'm just like, why is it always a blonde and a brunette? And they always have long hair and it's just like, they're both, you know, fairly feminine. And it's just like, what, like, what is this? Why are we falling into these patterns? Like, even when, you know, one of the two lesbians in She-Ra, she cuts her hair in the last season or gets a haircut in the last season. And there was like a mini backlash to that when like a picture of it leaked and the, like, there was a backlash even from, you know, other like, like sapphic fans of Shira. It was like, this is ugly. Wait, who are you talking about? Katra. So. I thought that's true. <laughs> that's also very funny because she's a cat. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just... She's a cat. Um, so there's that. But, <laughs> and she, like, so she gets like a cute little pixie cut. And it was like, I didn't, again, I didn't think we were doing anything by this. I know so many people with short hair. I had short hair for most of my life. And to have people be like, this is ugly. She looks better with long hair. And I'm just like, oh my God. And I just, my heart hurt a little bit at that because it's like, like me, it's a cartoon. So most of its fans are younger people. So it's like, I want you to be able to see in the media that you love people who represent the full experience of being queer. And I don't know that you're necessarily seeing that. So I think it's both a challenge to myself as someone who creates media and to other media creators to be like, let's like really push ourselves to like see like what types of characters we tend to create and, and what types of people we think can be in relationships and what kind of people we see as desirable. All of these things. It's just like, even those of us who like, like obviously it's really personal to me. I really want to see more butch people on TV because it's like a personal experience of mine. And I, I still, you know, have a, that limit of imagination um so it's just like yeah just like if anyone knows where all the butch representation is on tv please tell me i want to watch it <laughs> i want to make it <laughs> do my best this feels like a good segue back into what you were talking about earlier you were saying this sort of experience of quarantine and in being alone and reflecting. Um, and I'm curious what you found out about yourself. It's, it sounded like it was coming from a real place of like uncovering some things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so interesting to have, I, I finished Shira at the end of last year and, um, or at the end of 2019. And then the last season came out in May of 2020. And so up until the last like five years of my life have been almost entirely consumed by Shira. It was everything. Like it's an incredibly challenging role. Um, and so I just, I, every waking moment I was thinking about it and then I'd fall asleep and I dream about it. Like that was my life. And it's really interesting that that's, you know, we're talking about Shira and He-Man and, I think that both series have always been super queer and the gender in them has always been insane. But it's like these, like there's literally pronouns as part of the title. Um, and so there was no question of if I was she, her or not at the start of this. It was like, well, I'm the showrunner of She-Ra 
So this is like, you know, I have to like be all girl power all the time. And there was no time for anything else. There was no time to think about gender. And it, it did something strange to my presentation because I was just every time I like dressed for work, it was always balancing. I'm like, if I dress too feminine, I won't be respected. If I dress too masculine, I won't be respected. What can I put together that I walk into the room and I hit that like, I was always just thinking about how people were going to see me and if they would like listen to me when I talked based on what I looked like. And that was a big part of my life. And I, I almost like didn't want to explore my gender because one, it just like seemed like a lot of work. And two, I just like, I didn't want it to be in, I always worried that it would be me reacting to something. So if I was like, well, I want to be treated with more respect at work. So maybe if I'm like really, really masculine and dress the way the guys do, then I'll be respected. And I didn't want that to be where my decisions came from. So I mostly just ignored it. Um, and then this year I got stuck at home, no office to go into, no, no one seeing me except, you know, my wife. And I realized that those feelings didn't go away. I was still having these feelings of like, what's my gender? How do I want to be viewed? Who am I actually? Not even how do I want to be viewed, but like, how do I want, if I run a desert Island and I kind of am, because we're all on desert islands right now, what would my gender, what would I want my gender to be? And what I realized was that, like, I didn't want to have boobs anymore. <laughs> and so I just got top surgery in October. And I r- realized just how much having boobs that I didn't want to have has been affecting me my entire life. And suddenly it's just like the clouds have parted. And it's something that I didn't even know that I was dysphoric about until I finally had this moment of, like, peace and just, like, self-reflection at home to realize that this was a part of me and not just me reacting to, you know, the patriarchy or the world's idea of what women are, the world's idea of what, you know, femininity is like all of these questions that get so it's, it's so, it's so confusing for so many people, but I am weirdly, it's a, it's a silver lining, I guess, of this fucked up, like, you know, year that we've had because it just, it it gave me a moment to be honest with myself um, and to kind of like have a moment of, of quiet to just really look inward and just see what's actually in there. Um, and so, yes, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that after, you know, five years of dedicating everything to She-Ra and the princesses of power that I came to this conclusion, but I'm, I'm really glad I did. When you, when you found that out about yourself, what did you do with that information? Did you share it with folks, with your with your wife? Did you seek a, to speak to a doctor first? How did that go down? It was um. It, it came in. It came in like kind of bits and pieces. I think I've wanted top surgery for a while, but it's like the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't deserve that. Like I'm not like a binary trans person. I'm not even like particularly masculine. Um, it's like I guess it's just you know I'm on the masculine side of femme and the feminine side of masculine. It's just, it's all very confusing. Um, but I, I was like, you know, I just, I was like, do I get to do this even? Like other people need this more. Am I like taking up a limited supply of top surgeries out there? Um, but it was just something I was like, you yeah, just learn you so much of us living our lives is learning to love ourselves. Why can't you learn to love this part of yourself too? And it wasn't that I like, 
hated them or that I was disgusted by them. I just was like, why are you here? <laughs> I didn't invite you. <laughs> like, please leave me alone. <laughs> so it, it started at first where I was just like, I started realizing these smaller things. Like, like I would go to work and like, not want, obviously I didn't want people to look at my boobs and typically people didn't. I've been dressing that way for a long time to minimize my boobs as much as possible. Um, but I realized that like when my wife and I would kind of watch TV on the couch and she'd lay her head on me, that I wanted her to like lay her head on my chest. And it annoyed me that there was something in between us. And even the fact that I saw my boobs as not being me, as being a barrier between me and my wife, that was like something I'd never noticed before. I was suddenly like, like you cut through all of the static of just daily life, of just interacting with so many people every single day. And I realized that I was like, wait, I don't see my boobs as being a part of me. And I want my wife to lay her head on my flat chest. And so that was like a really important realization. So I started out by kind of like, first, you know, my wife, I've, I've, I've been talking to her about the possibility of top surgery for as long as we've been together. Um, and so she was sort of like, at first, I think she was like, what does this mean that like, I think it's strange for her because she's, she's cis and, you know, like both of us still, I, I don't know. I don't always refer to myself as a lesbian, although it still is the thing that fits the best, but she's like, you know, really loves being a lesbian. And I think it was scary at first for her to be like, will I no longer be a lesbian if you become, if you, if you transition? Um, and it's a very complicated question, but that's become less, I think it's, it's something that's like, she knows it's still me no matter what. And so I think that that's something that it's just like, it's, it's, I think it's normal to be, um, you know, nervous or like, you know, what does this mean? What's it going to mean for our future? Uh, but like, it's also something that like, I just, I want her by my side every step of this journey. And so, and she has been, and so it's been both of us kind of learning these things together. Um, and so, yeah, once, once I knew that this was definitely, I actually, uh, I started my journey by being like, maybe I, I will do like a low dose of testosterone and that will kind of bring this little bit of masculinity to me that I'm looking for. And so I made an appointment with the LGBT center to like get, um, a prescription. And for whatever reason, the like doctor, like I was going to zoom with the doctor and they didn't show up and it was the 4th of July. And I was so fired up. I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Oh my God. Oh. And then they didn't show up. So I'm just sitting here with all of this, just like ambient energy. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to email, I'm going to email a surgeon. And so I did. And like, I was like, ah, oh, they probably have a waiting list. That's like three years long or whatever. And they were like, oh yeah, no, we, it'll, you know, take a couple of months once your insurance signs off on it. So almost immediately I got a reply. Almost immediately I had an appointment. And then it was just like, once I started realizing that this could really happen, that I could really do this it couldn't happen soon enough. Um, and yeah, so it, I, it took a couple months and then in October I had the surgery and I just woke up after the surgery and I just sat up and I just remember I was just sitting in bed, this huge grin on my face, like holding my chest and like crying and grinning at the same time. And it was just like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't even know that that was possible. I didn't even know that was like something that I was allowed to do. And so I'm, I'm really glad that that, it was just this incredible silver lining to a shitty year. Um, and that was like one of the high points. So, And where you are right now, and I know that this might not be 
but it's really just today. Like, does that feel like that was the, the change or the, the thing that needed to be different in your life? Like, have you gone back to seek, uh, low dose testosterone or was, or was that the thing that helped you realize that this is actually what you were looking for? I actually did go on T. Um, I'm basically on the lowest dose possible. I've been on it for a few months. Um, so it's interesting. It's just like there are little changes. I keep being like, because I'm not sure. There's still a lot of things I'm not sure about. I'm like, I don't think I really want facial hair. I don't really know about how I feel about my voice getting super low. But I have noticed a little bit of a change in my voice. I have noticed a little bit of extra body hair. So it's it's really, really subtle. Um and I don't know. I, it's like sometimes I'm worried I'll regret it because not all of these uh, changes are reversible. But there's something about it that just keeps drawing me towards it. Like I, I, I haven't stopped. Um, but it's interesting because I still think like so much of what discouraged me from pursuing these things before was just that like I'm not even. I don't know. I'm just not particularly masculine um, in a traditional way. I guess. And I didn't want to like lose, and I, I wouldn't describe myself as feminine in either way, in any real way either, but I didn't want to lose that, if that makes sense. I, I didn't, I was like, you know, yeah, I've never does. felt comfortable kind of like wearing feminine clothes because I had a very curvy body. I had a really big chest and I didn't want people to be looking at me, my body in that way. And so now that I have a flat chest, I'm like experimenting again with feminine clothes where I'm like, what is it like to wear like a, a, a frilly blouse and not have any boobs underneath? Suddenly that feels a lot better to me than it would have before. And so there are all these changes where it's like suddenly I've like, I've just like, I, I, I didn't know I was dysphoric. That's the thing. Uh, that was the biggest reason why I was like, you're not allowed to do this because you don't even have dysphoria. Some people go through life just like they don't even want to take a shower because they don't want to deal with this part of their body. They're in so much daily pain from this. How can you ever claim to like when you're just like basically fine? They're just you don't think about them. They are just a void in your perception of yourself. How can you claim to like need this surgery that for so many other people is life saving? And so I really thought I didn't have dysphoria. And then I got top surgery and I realized how dysphoric I had been because dysphoria is not always like, ah, daily agony. Like for some people it is, but for me, it was more subtle. It was a little bit more just like every time I look in the mirror and I see my body, there's just a little bit of like, oh, you know, like that's like the, that's the most, I mean, it got worse than that sometimes, but like, it was this feeling of just like, oh, fuck, you know, like I, like, that's not me. That doesn't, that doesn't belong there, I guess. And realizing the way that like now when I walk by a mirror, it's like, I'm just like, oh my God, whoa. Like, it, it, like every single time. And it's just like, it, it has made something click. It's made something about me make sense to myself. And it doesn't have to make sense in this way that's like super, like, it doesn't have to be the neatest story. It doesn't have to be like, and it caused me daily pain. I was so upset all the time about it. And now I am at peace. It, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more subtle for me. Um, but it has been incredibly transformative. It's just transformed every single part of my relationship to myself. And 
I just didn't realize that this weight was on my shoulders until it was gone. Cause I try not to think about it. Like if you think that it's like, there's nothing you can do about it. It, it hurts to, to feel sad about it. Letting yourself feel disappointed is just like, well, nothing to be done. I guess I'll just be sad for the rest of my life. And then as soon as it's like, wait, they're going away. Oh my God, they're gone. Oh my God, I was so upset. I didn't even let myself feel upset because I thought there's nothing I could do. Anyway, it's really cool. And I just like, I want people to know that even if they think that they're not enough of one thing or another to do this, like if that is where you're being like drawn to, you can do it. You are allowed to. And it can, it's, if that's what it, if that's what someone wants to do, then it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's something that is possible. I don't think I would have done it if I hadn't had friends who aren't binary, like trans men who had had it done. That was what made me feel like I could even, that it was even a little bit of an option. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that and for them like answering my questions. And I hope that, you know, I, I hope that people know that they can, if, if it's something that like, you know, they feel strongly about that it is available to them as well. Thanks so much for your honesty. And also congratulations. Thank you. On your, on your happiness. Thank That's you. Great. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting when the pandemic is over and I can go back outside again, what it's going to be like. Because I, I just feel like it's going to be a whole new ball game all over again. But for now, I, you know, I can just be on Zoom and not bring it up <laughs> or bring it up. <laughs> Before I let you head back into your day, um, I always have folks shout out a queero which is a person, place, or thing that made them feel that they could be who they are today. Would you like to shout out a queero? I guess um, the first person who comes to mind, and this is because me and my friends were talking about her the other day, is Tig Notaro. Tig's, um, you know, honesty with having a mastectomy, uh, obviously not uh, top surgery in the same way, but her openness and um, her boldness, uh, and, and for a lot of us, it was just the first time we had ever seen that in just in general. And so, you know, I was, I was talking to my friends who are, who are trans and who are transmasculine about just how transformative that was for us at a time when we really needed that, uh, just her honesty and, and openness about it. So I think, uh, just, you know, a huge inspiration and, and an inspiration to, um, be as open and as bold and as brave as she is. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. 